All right, welcome into the pregame episode of the Duck Territory podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel's sitting across from me. Hey, guys. Uh, we're also doing this on Facebook Live, so if you're listening to us live, you've got the option of dropping in some questions uh, about this game going into uh, Saturday. We're recording it Friday afternoon before I head north and you head north as well. We're going to be out in the, for high school football. I'll be out at Central Catholic Taking on Jesuit, checking out uh, a couple, couple guys. Oregon's looking at 2018 four-star linebacker Elijah Winston's the younger brother of Lamar, and then uh, Central Catholic has also offered Silas Starr of 2020, He's really good wide receiver from Central Catholic, uh, and then Jesuit's got a couple guys that Trey Lowe's committed to UW. Uh, Travis Breen's kind of like a walk-on candidate kind of guy that Oregon's yeah. looking at. Uh, but you're also going to be at Sprague for uh, Tegan Quinterino, Oregon's yep. tight end committee. Exactly, yeah, and I'm excited to see how he plays. I know the first game he didn't get a lot of receptions. I think he's hoping to have a, a bigger day today, but they're playing at West Salem. Um, both games are at 7 p.m. You can uh, follow. We've got a, we'll have a thread that's up um, that we'll be posting in throughout um, highlights and stats and all that stuff. So if you guys want to follow recruits, there's a couple commitments we'll be checking out tonight. So, uh, yeah, definitely check that out. But if uh, let's get to the game at... It's the big one tomorrow on right. Saturday, 1.30, kickoff. Fox uh, is the broadcast, broadcasting this game at Austin Stadium. Oregon versus Nebraska, both teams coming in 1-0, and both teams unranked, which I kind of thought was a little unexpected. If you asked me uh, this time last year or uh, if you asked me a year and a half ago, when you know two years ago going into this game, right. I, I would have said both teams were, were ranked. I would have said both, you know, this game would have been a national marquee game. You know, it would have generated a lot of national interest. Uh, we would have seen during the week uh, a couple national media outlets writing some kind of a feature story uh, on this game. And for the most part, I mean, you, you, you have some people who are including Oregon, Nebraska, and their pickums on a national basis of when they pick up, you know, the games around the country, but... For the most part, there hasn't been very much discussion at a national level about this game, which is, I think, yeah, when the schedule was, it's totally opposite. I think, yeah, I think the fanfare for this game is strangely um, less than it probably many expected when it was scheduled a few years ago. Um, it's kind of, kind of just what's happened with both programs over the last couple of seasons. Obviously, Oregon has has undergone a coaching change, and Nebraska has as well. I think when it was scheduled, um, it would have been a Mark Helfrich, Bo Pelini. Matchup, which would maybe a little bit more interesting, um, but but uh, you know I think I think one thing that's taken place here is just you know college football it's cyclical you know yeah. teams go up and down and, and neither program was kind of where they probably would have been expected to be a few years ago. Um, that doesn't mean this won't be a great game. And I think you know having driven by Hudson State a couple minutes ago here on the way over to Matt's place. There are a lot of Nebraska fans here. I saw about two dozen people in red shirts walking in front of Otson. So uh, it'll be, you know, most Otson games, it's there aren't that many visitors. This game will not be one of those games. There's going to be an awful lot of red in the stadium tomorrow, I think. Uh, yeah, they're saying anywhere from ten to 20,000 Nebraska fans. I wouldn't be surprised if there's close to 20,000 people in the state that are here for the Nebraska game that are Nebraska fans. Now, do all 20,000 get their way into the right. stadium is kind of be the going to be the question. You know, they're one of those fan bases that's so rabid they'll they'll travel to the game without tickets and try and figure it out if they can. And if they can't, they'll just enjoy the tailgates and and the party inside the parking lot. So uh, it, it's I think bigger locally. This this feels like it's a game where 
there's a lot of buzz between Oregon's fans and Nebraska's fans as it's getting closer and closer and the buildup is starting to happen. But at the same time, uh, nationally, there's not much uh, discussion about this one. But this could be a, you know, a program-lifting win for either team. Well, I, I agree. I would agree with that. Uh, on this podcast, we're going to go over our, kind of our keys to the game. Eric dropped his keys on the site. Uh, we'll also talk about some injury updates that we've heard going into uh, Oregon, Nebraska. On the Oregon side, there's going to be some milestones. A couple of players on this football team for Oregon are within reach of reaching this game. Uh, we'll have some bold predictions as well, and then we'll also go over uh, picking this game and why we feel like Oregon could win or, or Oregon could lose uh, today. And then, we'll, we'll, of course, if you're on our Facebook Live page, go ahead, drop us questions, and Eric will try and monitor that as, as he can and uh We'll answer some of those questions as well uh, throughout throughout the podcast. But first, let's let's get to the keys of the game. You dropped this on DuckTerritory.com yeah. earlier today. Uh, five five big ones. Um, there are probably more. I mean, we can talk if, if you have an, you know, Obviously, you, right. you have more than you can add to them. But I, I did drop five. And um, your the, first one's mauling the, the, the mauling the Nebraska front seven. Well, and I think it's key here to establish the run game. I mean, Oregon is this offense. I think. We, I think both of us think this is going to be a shootout. Yeah. I think neither of us are that confident in the defenses. So it's kind of which offense is going to have more success. And I think, to me, Oregon's offense is entirely dependent upon its run game. I know that's the way they want it. I, I think they can probably be successful if they were more run-heavy or pass-heavy, I should say. I think Justin Herbert's a good quarterback. I think they have some weapons. But this comes down to, the, I think, the Oregon offensive line and the Nebraska front seven. And if this offensive line, which looked fantastic week one, it actually looked really good last year against Nebraska. Yeah. I included in there, Oregon had over 330 yards rushing and five touchdowns last year against Nebraska. So it's not like they can't do it, but I think it's crucial. I think you have to come out and establish, you know, the line of scrimmage has to be on Oregon's side, have to win that um, for them, I think, to, to to be able to come out with the win, I think. Yeah, this is a group where I think it's going to be the recipe for Oregon all of 2017. Let's run the football, let's run the football, let's run the football, and then let's throw. You know, it, it, they're going to live and die by their ability to get three, four, five, six, seven yards per carry. Uh, if, if they're in that three yard per carry range, Oregon's probably going to struggle. They're probably going to, you know, probably going to lose that game because mm-hmm. their defense isn't, I don't think, at an elite level where they can kind of carry a, uh, and those types of slugfests. Right. Um, Oregon's going to need to be where they're averaging four and a half, five and a half, six and a half yards per carry. They were up to I think eight point nine yards per carry uh, against Southern Utah, that's, which that's unreasonable. To that's a very unreasonable number, but <laughs> yeah. it just tells you just how good this group can be yeah. against outmatched opponents. And I don't think we might be seeing a little bit of what Oregon went through last year with their with their change of defense in Nebraska this yeah. season because they're changing their schemes, they're they're changing their coordinators. Uh, they're moving from a 4-3 to a 3-4, um, and they don't have necessarily the guys recruited for that system. I'm sure they've got talented yeah. players. They've, they've got size up front. But it's it's a drastic change to go from a 4-3 to a 3-4, and can Oregon take advantage of that early? Yeah, I was, and what I was going to say is that Oregon and Nebraska defensively are going through very similar things. They're both going from a 4-3 to a 3-4, and they both have new defensive coordinators, both guys that are pretty highly regarded, Bob Diaco. Um, was the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame for a while and was head coach at Connecticut, so he's pretty well respected. Jim Levitt, similar things 
for Oregon, but the difference is that Oregon, the majority of the guys in Oregon's defense were recruited to play 3-4. That's yes. not the case in Nebraska. Most of these guys were recruited to play the 4-3 uh, under Mark Banker, who was you know not retained after the season. So they're still trying to figure things out, and that defense, to me, looks somewhat susceptible. I know Arkansas State threw the ball all over the field. They had over 415 yards passing in the first game. wasn't quite as good running the football right. as I think Oregon can be, but if Oregon is able to... Uh, take advantage of what I think is the strength of their team, which is their offensive line and the running backs, I, I think this game could go very favorably for Oregon. Uh, another key is forcing Tanner Lee into mistakes is what you wrote. Tanner Lee, Nebraska's starting quarterback. Right, and, and one of the things here is that Tanner Lee, no interceptions first game, played pretty well. I think he was like 19 for 32, 240 yards, a couple touchdowns, no interceptions. He is turnover prone. At, he was He's transferred from Tulane. Right. Um, this is his first year at Nebraska replacing Tommy Armstrong, who was a quarterback last year. But at, at Tulane, I think he had 21 picks in two seasons, which is a pretty big number. It's one, a high number. One number. One year, he, I think he had 15. You know, that's that's a pretty big interception number. And, you know, if you can force him into some mistakes, get some turnovers, that's big, especially for Oregon because last year, I think – They had they, 12. 12 all season. Yeah. And, and they were 128th, I think, in the country in that stat. Dead last in the fact 12 by a pretty large margin. So. They had two against Southern Utah. Exactly. So they're trying to build. And if they can if they can build and build and build and, and force him into a couple of other mistakes, get that confidence with the defense, I think that helps a lot. The key with, with turnovers is also making a note that uh, Nebraska didn't turn the ball over once against Arkansas State, and they barely won that game. Right. And so if, if you're Oregon – uh, the first thing you can look at is how can how can we get a different result than what Arkansas State did? We're, we feel like we're a better program. We feel like we have better players. We feel like we have better depth. What's the first thing we can do to kind of separate the margin a little bit? Yeah. And the thing you look at is turnovers. You know, Arkansas State was in it the entire way without turning over, without getting Nebraska to turn the football over. You can get two or three turnovers, and you can score off those. That you add, you stack them off the touchdowns. Next thing you know, instead of it being a uh, even score, you're up 14, and Nebraska becomes one-dimensional a little bit. I think Nebraska becoming one-dimensional is not one of the keys, but I think if you can do that and force them to throw the football, I'm not confident enough yet that Tanner Lee's good enough to lead a team by himself. Yeah, that's what, I would agree with that. I, I think if if you're Oregon, you want it, it, you want to get away from Nebraska running the football because, A, that's probably uh, – Oregon's defense last year was bad. They're, I don't think their defense this year is going to be elite – you know, they might be average, but I think you've got a better shot with the athletes you've got in the secondary uh, and the way that Oregon's linebackers are in pass coverage. I think you've got a better shot in stopping the pass than you do, uh, you know, saying, "Hey, you know, this team's going to run the ball three times, and we've got to stop them and not let them get ten yards or more yeah. out of those three rushes." I don't think Oregon can do that. So if you can force Nebraska to eliminate their run game and have to rely on Tanner Lee, that guy like you said, who's been turnover prone at other schools yeah. when you play at Tulane and playing into your strengths, that only helps you in, in this in this defense get ready. Let's take a quick question here from Facebook Live. Um, Race asks, any news on recruits coming from out of town for the game? Example, Isaiah Crocker. Yeah, so we've got an update uh, on the site a couple of days ago, yesterday actually, mm-hmm. uh, Thursday is when we posted it for who's coming into town. Uh, it's about split 50-50. You've got a couple guys coming out of state. They're mostly guys that are currently committed to Oregon. Isaiah Crocker is not one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two guys, the, the two bigger names are uh, Javon Holland and Steve Stevens, two four-star commits, secondary players. And I caution naming those guys just because both of them themselves have told me, hey, it's 50-50. 
you know, we might we're we're, we're telling Oregon we're coming. Uh, we're hoping that we can get there in terms of when our high school games are over on Friday nights. But you know, do the logistics line up? We don't know yet. Another question here from Brandon Pratt: um, Who besides Charles Nelson uh, do we think will step up and catch the football? It's a good question. I, I think you look at this offensive team. You would your first reaction would be a Dylan Mitchell. Um, yeah. I, I think uh, Alex Ofadale, Malik Lovett, Johnny Johnson. Uh, those are kind of your three next guys. Johnny Johnson starting, mm-hmm. um, but we saw Ofadeli and we and we saw Mitchell. I mean, we saw uh, Lovett. Yeah. Uh, they both got a ton of run off the bench. And those were kind of the, the Oregon's uh, primary five receivers. Brendan Schooler worked into the sixth mm-hmm. spot. Darian McNeil came in uh, late in the game and got some run. Um, but we were, you know, we were kind of expecting going into the year a guy like David Davis. Maybe Jalen Red's going to be that guy because now he's probably healthy and closer to, to playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know for sure. But I, I would say Johnny Johnson – Ofadeli or, or Lovett, one of those three, yeah. along with Mitchell. You, you want one of them. You've got four guys. You need one of them to step up. I, I, I got a gut feeling here that Dylan Mitchell is going to have a big game. I don't know why exactly I'm feeling that. I just think there's a lot of talent. We saw it in the spring game, not this year as well, but right. the previous year where he, I think he had two or three touchdowns. And um, I think he's got all the talent in the world. And if there's a pass defense he can victimize, it might be this Nebraska defense because we've talked about it. Right. That's not the strength of their defense. Uh, going back, we'll get to some more questions here in a little bit, but going back to one last key that you've got. Mm-hmm. There's a couple others on there as yeah. well for DuckTerritory.com, so go make sure to read Eric's uh, entire story. But one of them's, uh, I think, a critical one, and I think Oregon fans have been very critical of this team for this, and that's wrapping up and tackling the ball carrier. We, we've seen a couple whiffs already. Yeah, more week, than a couple. Week one against Southern Utah. Now there's there's playing a step up in, in quality of an opponent against Nebraska. How well does Oregon's defense kind of adjust and react and straight up tackle? Do they make plays? Yeah, well, I think the thing here is the margin of error is different against Nebraska than Southern Utah. Southern Utah, very, you, very true. you miss a tackle on their running back and you've got a couple guys nearby and they can bring them down. Maybe three or four, maybe it's a three or four yard net gain. They've got Nebraska's got Trey Bryant, who's a great sophomore running back. He had almost 200 yards rushing in their opener. If you don't wrap up against him, that could be a touchdown. You know, if you don't wrap up against him, that could be a 15 yard difference. So the, the margin of error is different. You have to make tackles. You can't miss tackles. That hurt Oregon. I mean, they hurt on the scoreboard. They had, I think, Southern Utah's running back wrapped up in the backfield on like a second and goal play and he somehow escapes it and scores their third touchdown and all of a sudden it's 42-21. So you can't make those mistakes against a better opponent. Uh, Nebraska has some guys that can hurt them. They've got a couple guys out wide that are, that are obviously much better than what Southern Utah's got. So, I think you have to be much more consistent with your tackling. And Jim Lovett talked about a little bit on Wednesday about, hey, we've got to be more consistent in doing this. This is something that, you know, just cannot continue to plague them. A uh, question here from Thomas Hinton. Are Malik Young and Scott Pagano playing tomorrow? Uh, we'll, we'll get to those questions uh, coming up um, on the on the podcast. Actually, that's a perfect segue. You want to Let's injuries? just go right into injuries. Yeah. Um, we have an update on the War Room. If you're a subscriber to DuckTerritory.com, we've got a full update uh, on a lot of guys who either were hurt going into the season or were hurt in the game against Southern uh, Southern Utah last week. Um, lots of roster movements for this team. Uh, in terms of Malik Young, yeah, I think he's going to play. Um, we saw him uh, in the one practice we were able to watch on, on Wednesday. The Ducks had 
him working with the second team defense uh, that's continued throughout this week. Uh, so he's he's on track to play. And yeah. I, I think he probably could have played last week against Southern Utah. Um, it's just more so of what's his conditioning like and what understanding of, of Oregon's defensive playbook did he have at that time and and would it be safe to put him out there right. uh, you know, for his own health? Uh, not, not necessarily, you know, safe in terms of can he help Oregon, because certainly he could, but just did he know enough to, you know, to be out there and be able to play and, and, and to play safe football? Right. Now he's had an extra week. He's got a full understanding of the, of the not full, but better. better understanding of, of this defense. I think he plays. Yeah. Um, Scott Pagano, game time decision. I was told kind of the, the, the hope was when this injury happened, uh, and then as things progressed that Wyoming was kind of the target date. Hope he's ready for Wyoming. Uh, if not, he'll be ready for for Arizona State. It's kind of gone a little bit better than than anticipated. Do they want to play him against Nebraska? They're gonna they're gonna make it a game time decision, I think. And both those guys are could be huge in terms of you know we talked about uh, stopping you know making tackles, but stopping that Nebraska running game is really really key. Like I said, I don't know if Tanner Lee is capable of beating you by himself, and if you're able to get a couple added guys there in the middle there to make it more difficult for them to run. That could be a huge development for sure. Uh, other injuries of note, um, Justin Hollins is an outside linebacker that started for the Ducks. He had an injury that he suffered in the Southern Utah game. He should be back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some other people have been asking questions about, uh, at least last week, why was Taj Griffin, junior receiver? We should mention junior receiver, not junior running back right. anymore. Uh, and then also uh, Brady Breeze, a, true, a redshirt freshman safety, and Tyree Robinson, a redshirt senior safety. Uh, why were they not included? Uh, sounds like all three of them, if they needed to play, if they were playing Nebraska week one, they probably could have played week one. Uh, but they didn't. They gave them an extra week of just rehab, be safe, be ready, be ready for this big game today. And, you know, rather you get hurt, if you're going to get hurt in the game, rather you get hurt in the third quarter against Nebraska so that we have some kind of production with you on the field than you getting hurt third quarter of Southern Utah and you can't play at all the next week against Nebraska. So I, I would anticipate all three of those guys playing. And more importantly, and Taj is, I think Taj's speed and his agility and his playmaking ability is, is going to be big. Yeah. But I think it's bigger for the defense because you've got two guys where if you, when fall camp started, I think if you asked me who were going to be Oregon starters at safety, I would have said Brady Breeze and Tyree Robinson. Yeah, and, and it's also important because a couple of guys went down the last oh, game, absolutely. a couple of safeties, and, and they were, you know, I talked to my Trumbull Grab about it earlier this week who, who started the first game and, and probably will start this weekend, it sounds like, um, about kind of the depth and how it's weird because with the start of the season, they had about 10 guys, and he was looking around going, they moved we've got Brandon Schooler. They moved Schooler because I thought, hey, we've got so many guys, and then, you know, you have Robinson and Breeze go, you know, not play, you know, the first game, then you lose... Jawan Williams and Cleo Oliver to injury midway through the Southern Utah game, and then you're looking around and you got two true freshmen and a couple of guys that have hardly played out there. So I, those guys returning, I think, could be crucial, and, and it's one of those things where you're, I think, fortunate to have the depth at safety because there have been years where if you there was none, there was none, and you lose Jawan Williams and Cleo Oliver, and then you're forced to play those two freshmen. Now they can play two guys that we think are, are uh, starter quality players. Uh, offensively, there really hasn't been much uh, injuries to report. Oregon's pretty healthy there. Knock on wood for Oregon right there. Yeah, they're pretty healthy. Um, defensively, there's a lot of fluid situations. And if you want a full kind of update, uh, go to duckterritory.com and, and check out the war room. We've got full updates of every player that we basically tracked 
who got hurt either going into the Saturday's game or got hurt in, in during Saturday's game against Southern Utah last week and kind of where things stand with them. So a uh, very fluid situation with a couple guys. Uh, it, it could drastically change uh, as of Saturday. Let's take another question here from Facebook Live. Uh, Brandon Pratt asks, what do you think about Arion Springs this year? We need him to step up big. Um, I think he played probably not his best football game on Saturday. Sure. I think that's kind of the consensus. He, he made up. Uh, was out of position a couple of times, didn't wrap up great, uh, was victimized a little bit early on in the passing game, as was basically the entire Oregon secondary. Um, early on in that game, uh, I think Southern Utah completed their first eight passes and then was below 50% for the rest of the game, so they did turn it around. But uh, you need to see him step up, you know, and it's not because they don't have guys behind him, but this is your senior leader. You know, this is supposed to be the guy that's, I think, key on the outside here that can lock down his side of the field. And we saw that a little bit as a sophomore. We saw that quite a bit less as a junior and now you're kind of wondering as a senior is it all going to come together and I think you know if you were to make a snap judgment off game one you'd probably say no yeah I think he's he's not necessarily fighting for his starting job but if he has a bad performance this week against Nebraska and Thomas Graham comes out and plays like he did Mm -hmm. against Southern Utah and I know Thomas Graham had a couple pass interference calls uh, thrown against him, one of which I thought was pretty ridiculous. And Taggart said the same thing, and, actually. <laughs> um, which I was kind of surprised yeah, about. commented on officiating. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, quickest way to have to open up your, your checkbook. checkbook right. um, but I was he Taggart himself kind of talked about it. You know, I thought a lot of people in the press box were kind of miffed at that pass interference yeah. call. Um, I think if... if Springs has another inconsistent game. Not necessarily struggles, but it's hot and cold. Because there were parts in that Southern Utah game where he was pretty good. Um, If he's inconsistent, though, and Thomas Graham continues to show growth, continues to show production, we might see a position battle start popping up a little bit more. We might see that infamous or show Mm -hmm. up on the depth chart uh, going into, I don't know if it would be the Wyoming game, but, you know, would be would be surprised if in two or three weeks we see those ores start popping up if things continue to tread that way. So yeah, I think if you're Oregon, you hope Springs can live up, you know, because he was at one point a five star recruit. He was a guy that when he committed was talking about being at Oregon for three years and then going on to the NFL. I think he's got an NFL body mm-hmm. for. You know, I mean, I've thought that's for a long time. What NFL teams like in cornerbacks, but it's all about does he have what's in the head to get to the NFL and does yeah. he have the attributes to do it. Yeah, I actually, going back, he was, I believe he and Royce Freeman have the, the tied for the same, or the highest, uh, 24-7 composite ranking score. So it was like .9864 or something. I don't know, I'm making numbers up, but something like that. So those, I mean, those guys are the, the blue blood talents on this team. And obviously Royce Freeman has, has shown it <laughs> through the course of his career. No one's going to argue that. More than likely will be Oregon's all-time leading rusher by the end of the season. Arian Springs, not so much. Uh, let's take one more question real quick. Um, what's one key thing Oregon should worry about tomorrow if all the injured players are back? Um, I, I, I think, you know, we talked about some of the keys for winning, but if, if Nebraska is able to come out and, and really, really run the football, I think is something I would be concerned about. They, they did run very, with quite a bit of success against Arkansas State. Oregon did a great job against Southern Utah. Obviously, that's not a, an offense that's known for the run game and not an offense that's particularly good at running the football. But if Nebraska comes out, dominates the line of scrimmage, plays you know smash mouth Big Ten football, um, and is able to get ahead early, then Oregon's strategy changes. They're forced yeah. to throw the football. Are we you know are we confident Justin 
Herbert, after all, has only won three games, I think, as a starting quarterback. And, you know, the game he won last week was, you know, not that he played poorly, but, you know, I mean, nine rushing touchdowns. I mean, yeah. That speaks for itself. Uh, I think I don't doubt Justin Herbert in his abilities because if you go and you look at the quarterback rating at a national level, um, he w- he enters week two with the ninth best quarterback rating in the, in the country. Um I am suspect of Oregon's receivers outside of Charles Nelson. Yeah, I agree. And, and it's, I, I think there's a high ceiling with this group, but I also think, you know, the sliding scale is, is huge. Yeah. You know, they, they could be really good one week and then the next week they could absolutely struggle. And I did a radio interview yesterday in Nebraska and Omaha. And they kind of asked me what was kind of the biggest concern you had with this offense going into Nebraska. And I said that I'm curious to see how this Oregon receiving core handles a power five defense. Mm -hmm. Does uh, Nebraska's defensive coordinator and their coaches come together and say, hey, let's let's stack the box. Let's make them throw the football and let's press up at at the line of scrimmage with our with our corners and our nickelbacks and and our safeties and just. Just see how tough are these receivers at Oregon? Can can we can we hang with them one on one and stack the box and, and force Oregon to throw in one on one situations and their receivers can't get off off press coverage? If that's the case, Oregon's going to struggle mm-hmm. um, because they need to have some kind of a downfield threat passing the football, and it's just as important as having a good quarterback who can read defenses, who can make who can make good throws. You also need receivers who can get open. If you don't have receivers who can get open, Justin Herbert's ineffective no matter how good he is. Right. Uh, let's shift over now to some milestones uh, to watch. I, I think some of these are pretty safe to assume happen mm-hmm. uh, on Saturday. Uh, for instance, Royce Freeman needs just one rushing touchdown to tie Charles White of USC for fourth all-time in the Pac-12 conference for career touchdown re- uh, numbers. Uh, and then he needs three more to reach uh, – three, two, so two more on top of that other mm-hmm. one. Uh, to reach 50 career touchdown marks. He's got 47 going into uh, this game. I think the first one's a, almost a lock. Mm-hmm. I think he gets the first one. Um, he needs two more. Sorry, he needs two more, so he's got 48 rushing touchdowns. I think the second one goes down, too. I think I think Royce Freeman scores three or four more touchdowns this game and, and continues to move up. Uh, the rec- you know the record books at Oregon. He he needs four to, to tie Linda White for third all time in the Pac-12 conference. I think that's within reach. I agree. Uh, this game he needs uh, four all-purpose yards to to reach the 5,000 career all-purpose yards. I think that might happen. That's probably going to happen on the first play uh, for for Oregon. He he also needs six. Uh, excuse me. He needs 108 rushing yards to pass Jonathan Franklin uh, of UCLA for fifth all time in the Pac-12 conference. For all-purpose yards, I think that one's also going to fall. Now, I think Freeman's going to have a huge day. I think I think what's you know if if Freeman had been healthy last year and would have run for close to two thousand yards like he did as a sophomore, he would have a chance and he would have come back this year. There's yeah. a chance he would have shattered. There's still a chance he packed twelve records and maybe even gotten close to Donnell. I think Donnell Humphrey or what, I think he set the. The, the NCAA rushing record this past season for his career, I think it was like 6,400 yards. Freeman has like 4,300 right now. Yeah. He would, he, he could have possibly gotten around that number and could have been the all-time leading rusher. I think that's one of those things you, you look back and kind of go, man, if he would have been healthy as a junior, and let's say he's healthy as a senior and produces like we expect, and he could have been on track for some, some major, major. Charles, records. Charles White of USC played in, from 1976 to 1979. He has six, 6,245 yards. 
rushing in his career. That's the Pac-12 record holder. That's the Pac-12 record holder. Uh, Royce Freeman uh, has 4,296. I felt like if if Freeman had 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 the year he normally had last season and decided to come back, that record would be in jeopardy. I think it'd be almost a guarantee to come down because you add 800 more yards to that, and then he's at 5,000. All he needs is 1,200 this year. I think yeah. he would have shattered it possibly. So, but that that obviously did not take place. So that's not a milestone that's really up for guard unless he goes for like 2,300 right. yards this year. Which the way they run the football, who knows? But uh, the, the the big milestone with Freeman that may or may not go down. I, it, the first one's four rushing touchdowns. You know, I. That one, you know, that's a good that's a good prop bet if we were ever having prop bets. Does, right. does Freeman get three and a half touchdowns or, or less? Um, but the other one is, and I think that's more realistic of happening, is the 228 all-purpose yards that Freeman needs to become fourth all-time on the career all-purpose yard list at Oregon. He he passed Derek Lavelle with 228 yards. Does he get 228? He had 200 against Southern Utah and didn't play in the fourth quarter. I think if if we're making bold predictions, I think he probably does that and also gets four touchdowns. Because I think I think if they're going to win this game, and I think both of us will get to predictions in a couple minutes. Both of us believe they will. Yeah. Royce Freeman's going to have a big game, and I think he's hungry because last year, remember, he got hurt in this game. He only yes. had like five carries for thirty yards, and Oregon still ran for three hundred and forty yards. So and Juan Brooks James both had big touchdowns, big big games, and. Uh, I think he's fully capable of having a monster game and kind of reassert himself in that national discussion for, for some awards. Other uh, milestones that could go down, uh, three receptions is needed for Charles Nelson just to become the 28th player in school history to have uh, 100 career catches or more. That's safe to say that one's going to fall to, uh, on we Saturday. Think, I think so, yeah. um, and it's not really that – it's kind of a shock it's taken that long for Nelson since he's a senior uh, and he doesn't have 100 yet, 100 catches yet going in, into this. Well, season. he had that weird year where he was playing both. both That's very true. Defense, so he was he wasn't quite as involved in offense probably that year. Uh, one I don't think that happens is uh, field goals. Aiden Schneider needs three field goals to tie Greg McCollum for second all time on the career list uh, for made field goals at Oregon. Uh, I think Oregon's going to kick a couple. I don't think they get three though. I, I think Oregon's offense is going to be prolific enough where they can. They can move the football up and down the field. And then uh, Schneider needs 15 points uh, to pass Kenyon Barner for fourth all-time on the Oregon career scoring list. That one seems pretty reasonable. They they score six or seven touchdowns. That's six or seven PATs. Yeah. He makes two or three field goals. And you're, you know... You're pretty close. Yeah, that, that, that one will depend upon whether or not... Because, I mean, they didn't kick any field goals game one. Obviously, this is probably a more difficult task, but... That one, that one, that one's definitely debatable. It'll depend upon how well they convert those red zone opportunities. If you've got questions and you're on Facebook Live, go ahead and drop them on Facebook Live right now. Uh, we'll get to those questions as well. I think we've had a couple more pop in. Um, uh, one of them is a repeat here, asking about Pagano and, and Young, and we've already answered that earlier. Um, we can answer it again, I guess, since someone might have been late coming in. But. Yeah, Pagano is kind of a game time decision. Malik Young is expected to play. Uh, for Oregon for him making his 2017 and Oregon debut. Uh, remember, this is his first year, even though he's listed as a senior for Oregon. But if you got questions, go ahead, drop them in on Facebook. Um, if you're not on Facebook Live and you listen to the podcast and you're curious, how can you listen to this live? Uh, all you got to go to is uh, facebook.com slash Oregon247. Like the, the Facebook page there. You'll get notifications of when we do Facebook Lives, and you can just hop right in. You can get your questions in. We typically do these after every Oregon football practice, every Oregon media day, uh, and then also football games. 
and then we also do these on Fridays as we record our Friday podcast, as well as our Monday podcast, recapping the game as well. I like where this guy's thinking. Score predictions, question mark? That's, I think, leading right into where we're going next. Am I right? Yeah, that's, that's uh, <laughs> where we go next. Um, scoring, Perfect transition. Scoring predictions. Um, I think we posted our, our, our picks up on DuckTerritory.com. Uh, you, myself, and also Carly, uh, and she, you know, she's kind of thinking the same lines both of us are. This is going to be a shootout. I think there's going to be over 80 points scored. Mm -hmm. We all have over 80 points scored in this game. Uh, The over-under for this one going into it uh, is currently hovering around 70 points. Which which I would bet the over over and over again. But, but as we've proven, if you look at our predict the back twelve last week, the opposite. We're, we're, don't, don't follow our line of thinking because we've been pretty awful in, against the spread. I think we, I've got I think we've got I think we're one for fifteen yes. combined or something. You have like, the one. I have pick. one right, and you've got the, all of them wrong. So to be, to be fair, we have also nailed pretty much every single one straight up. So right. we're picking we are, the we're picking the right winner. Yeah, but just not the right margin. Right. Um, but yeah, if you want to jump in here with with uh, predictions that we both have. Or all three of us have Oregon winning. Yes. All three of us have Oregon scoring 50 points. Yes. Um, do all three of us have Oregon covering? I have Oregon covering. Uh, I have Oregon covering as well. Carly does not. Okay. So Carly has them uh, picking Oregon to win 50 to 42. Uh, that would be a kind of a crazy score to get to 50. Um, yeah. But We're, Oregon went for two like five times last year in this game, so who knows? <laughs> That's still the, spread, the spread's 13 and a half, by the yes, way. Yes, the spread is 13 and a half. Uh, I've got them winning 55 to 34, and I think uh, this is going to be a case of a game where I think both offenses are going to score a lot of points. I mean, 35 points is 34 points, is still quite a bit. Yeah, um, you're going to be in the top, I think, 40 in the country if you average 34 points a game. Um, but with this, I I think this is going to be a case where Oregon is gonna, both defenses aren't going to be very good, and it comes down to then whose offense can match the other one. And score points. Who can right. keep track? Who? I think Oregon's offense is going to be just too prolific. The momentum, the atmosphere, um, the fact that Oregon's got an offensive line that's healthy. And, you know, last year they were all redshirt freshmen yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Um, and they had Cameron Hunt last year, their senior, loses cool, and he was the one that was getting all the, the personal foul penalties. That happened all too often during his career at Oregon. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you've got Oregon – uh, Tyrell Crosby was not in that game, no. so he's back. You've got an experienced offensive line. Yeah. You've got Justin Herbert, who was clearly a better quarterback uh, than Dakota Prukop, who did not play in that game. Uh, Herbert did not play in, against Nebraska. And Prukop played very poorly. And Prukop played very poorly in terms of passing. His rushing numbers were mediocre, average. Um, so this Oregon offense is getting a healthy Royce Freeman back. They're getting a Tyrell Crosby back. And they're adding a better quarterback in the in a, from what they had last year, and it's on it's at home instead of on the road. And this is a team where they lost by three points, and they I think they went for two and didn't get it four times um, instead of kicking PATs. So right. the margin of error, I think, is pretty wide at Oregon, and I think this offense is going to be able to move the football, and there's going to be a couple situations where Oregon's going to score a touchdown. Mike Riley is a pretty conservative coach. He always tends to – Take points when you can get them, which is kind of the rule on the road early on. He doesn't chase points, which you shouldn't necessarily do, but against an opponent like Oregon, you might have to. I think he's going to kick a couple field goals when Oregon scores some touchdowns. That builds some separation, and that forces uh, Nebraska to be a little bit more one-dimensional than they want to be, and that's where Oregon's defense can finally get their opportunity to, to make a couple plays. Yeah, and I have I have Oregon winning, I believe, 51-35. Yes. Um, 
Similar thought to you there. I mean, if you just kind of look at it, Oregon ran the ball like crazy against Nebraska last year, couldn't throw the football very well. If you if they're able to maintain that level of success running the football and you add in a much better passing game, that's the difference. And frankly, last year's game was very winnable too. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, they should have won. they should have won last year's game. And I think you know a lot of players on the team would tell you just as much. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what Matt said. I, I think you know obviously based upon our score predictions, now I just think a lot of defense is going to be played here. Um, and knowing the way we've gone, it's probably going to be like a 21-14 game or something. But uh, I, I think there's going to be a lot of points scored. I think Oregon's going to score more. I think Oregon will be able to run the football, like I said earlier in the podcast. I think Royce Freeman could have a monster day. Um, he's going to run angry. This is his first time you know, playing against this season against a defense that's supposed to be pretty good up front, not good in the back end. I think he's going to play really, really angry. One question I think... Um That begs to be you know, asked is just how much of a motivation factor does this team have? Mm-hmm. Because they lost by three, but I think the way that they lost, and while it was kind of deemed on the coaching staff previously, um, and their decisions of going for two so many times, yeah. and, but it was kind of an embarrassing way to lose. Mm-hmm. You know, there was there were a lot of things that were mocking Oregon uh, following that loss, even though it was three points. Um, how much does that kind of sit in the back of their minds? You know, Royce Freeman and Tyrell Crosby, two guys who were hurt. Um, you know, and does that pop up at all for them? Of do they any extra motivation um, for pulling that victory out? Jalen Jelks, another guy that got hurt in that game. Yeah, a lot of guys were hurt in that game. Uh, Drayton Kahlberg, a guy that you know, key piece for Oregon's defensive line rotation, he got hurt in that game. Troy Dye, I think, only played three or four plays on special teams for some. I think it was a concussion protocol or something, but it just seemed really weird. Why could he play special teams, which is one of the most injury-related plays of all of football, right. but he couldn't play, you know, the regular defensive plays. He yeah. didn't. He wasn't a factor in that game at all either. He wasn't playing because he was out for most of the game. Um, how much is that going to factor into these guys just, you know, striking revenge? Because that was a game you could honestly say was – the start of the end mm-hmm. for the previous regime because mm-hmm. they win that game. They probably have enough fortitude and, and self-confidence and, and awareness to, to pull out the, Washington, the, the Colorado game the next week because, remember, Oregon was up in the fourth quarter late. That was an ugly football and, game. And, and Colorado came back and pulled off a crazy you know touchdown run and then Oregon had to march back down the field and you know, another coaching blunder. They didn't run the football and they threw a fade on first down and goal and they threw an interception. So, you know, those two games don't happen. Are we here talking about the Willie Taggart era? I don't think so. Yeah. You know, so that that Nebraska game carries a lot of emotional weight for this program too. How much does that play a factor moving forward? I agree. Uh, let's take one question here from Brandon Pratt. Uh, would an eight-win season be considered a W for Willie in his first Absolutely. Year? Yeah, I think you take it. Yeah, you, know, you were project. You know, you won four games last year and you double your win total uh, in. From the previous season yeah. and your first year with the defense that you've got, the questions you had, the depth concerns at quarterback, depth concerns at that tight end, defensive line, you win eight games and you get to a bowl game. Absolutely, Oregon fans should be fired up. You win that bowl game, you're probably in the top fifteen going into the 2018 football season, maybe even the top ten, yeah. depending on how Oregon's recruiting class finishes out. 
So and right now it's ranked fifth. And right now it's fifth. Yeah, there'll be a lot of um, yeah. There'd certainly be a lot of excitement for for 2018 if if that scenario takes place. Uh, That's going to do it for Eric and I for the Duck Territory podcast. We'll get this uploaded if you're on Facebook and you missed part of it. We'll get this uploaded up onto the site sometime today as quickly as we can. Uh, Game day is tomorrow. We'll have stuff going up late tonight from high school football. Again, Eric's going to be checking out Tegan Quinterino, Oregon's three-star tight end commit from Sprague High School up in Salem. I'll be up at Central Catholic uh, Jesuit for the Holy War. Oregon's got a couple targets uh, playing in that game as well. And then uh, we'll see if we've got time. I think I saw that the sunset – Sheldon game kicks off about 20 minutes later than everyone else in the, in the state of, in the city of Portland. So if I get Jesuit Central Catholic both like running the football, so there's kind of an opportunity where I might be able to have enough time to, duty, to sneak over to Jesuit wow. or sneak over to Sunset and catch maybe the last half of the fourth quarter or something. But if I can do it, I'll do it. If not, we'll see what Sheldon's got next week for uh, when they play back in Eugene. I think so. High school football coverage is all day tonight. Uh, on DuckTerritory.com, and then depending on where you're listening to this, either Friday night or Saturday morning, we are kicking straight into uh, game day coverage uh, for Nebraska, Oregon, 1.30 kickoff. We'll be at Autzen bright and early, and then uh, throughout the afternoon and into the early parts of the evening watching football. And uh, then there's some other big games that yeah. are going to be going on with the Pac-12, so we'll be watching those as well. So uh, go to DuckTerritory.com for all your coverage for Oregon football, Oregon recruiting needs, and uh, we got you covered there. So until we talk to you on a podcast Monday, all right, we will talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Bye.